0: proud to be an american it's
1: time to remember what our brave soldiers never forgot americans share one flag one home and one glorious destiny fellow americans you're listening to rose unplugged
2: joining me today is the Founder and former president of Greenpeace, and he's currently a policy advisor on climate and energy at the Heartland Institute. Glad we have him there, and also glad to have him on the show. Patrick Moore, welcome back to the show, Patrick. How are you?
1: Good morning, Rose. I'm just fine. I'm quite chipper this morning. Thank you.
2: You go. I was chipper because you were going to be on the program today, so how about that? All right. <laughs> so there's lots to talk about. I wanted to start first with Tuesday's uh, blocked Green New Deal resolution. So uh, it was a procedural vote that was called for on Tuesday, and the GOP called it up. And I thought it was brilliant because they did so, so they could show that this crazy plan to end the use of fossil fuels and address climate change um Is As crazy as it is. And it was a brilliant move, really, because most Senate Democrats voted present rather than in favor of the resolution, even though a lot of them said that they support it or the measure. I don't believe that at all. Um, It it was interesting to watch, was it not?
1: Yes, it was, Rose. And I mean, if you just vote present, it doesn't indicate that you support it. Right. What it really means is they are not willing to go public. Uh, with a solid support, like a vote like that, just to just to say, oh, yeah, great. I think it's just great is one thing, you know, in an interview. But to actually vote in the Senate for the Green New Deal puts you on record of being in favor of one of the stupidest documents that's ever been presented to the American public.
2: <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting, Patrick, and I thought clever too. this guy's pretty darn clever. President Trump had a closed-door meeting with Senate Republicans on uh, Tuesday as well, and he urged the Republicans to keep that Green New Deal a focus because he believes it's going to help the uh, GOP win the 2020 elections, and I agree with him. Keep it up there front and center.
1: Well, absolutely, Rose. I mean, some of the proposals in there are completely ridiculous. One of the funniest ones that a lot of people might not get by just looking at it cursorily is item J, as in Jack. Item J says that we should remove all the greenhouse gases from the atmosphere. And carbon dioxide is actually the primary food for all life, including all the plants, which Mm. make all the energy for all life by photosynthesis. And that's the only reason we can be alive is because we either eat plants directly or because we eat animals that have eaten plants. And the energy that's coming through to our bodies and all the other animals that don't have photosynthesis is coming from photosynthesis indirectly or directly by eating plants.
0: Unbelievable. So
1: if you removed all (laughs) the CO2 from the atmosphere, life would die. But the other funny thing is the main greenhouse gas, which most people don't know, is water, H2O. It is at least 95% of the greenhouse gas effect in our atmosphere. And of course, trying to remove water from the atmosphere would be a rather Herculean task and also one that would eliminate all life on Earth. And that is item J in the Green New Deal.
2: Oh my gosh, that's ins it's insanity. Why isn't anyone being honest with her, Patrick? I mean, because they still have, you know, I mean, there's still a few that say they like the bill and so forth. And 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 then we've got half a dozen of the Senate Democrats that are running for president, like Elizabeth Warren and John Barrasso and and uh, saying that, you know, they support it. Um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, okay, is the one, of course, we know, introducing the measure to the House in February, only a third of the caucus is officially backing her. Why isn't anyone pulling her aside and saying, honey, you're, you're looking really stupid here, particularly where Jay is and Jack is, con- is concerned?
1: <laughs> Why? I think the problem, Rose, is that a large number of members of Congress, on the Democratic side in particular, simply don't have any science or any real grounding in these concepts the idea that we should ban fossil fuels is that we should ban 80 to 85 percent of all the energy that runs the world. Right. And if you know, in, in order of importance, it starts with air to breathe, water to drink, food to eat, and energy to run the whole thing. And they just don't seem to understand that. But the other irony is that these so-called green people are also against nuclear energy and hydroelectric energy, which are the only other two major technologies that can provide reliable, cost-effective energy, especially for electricity, and they're opposed to those as well. And in fact, if you wanted, say, to remove fossil fuels from electricity production, I'm not talking about transportation, because there it's virtually impossible, But for electricity, we could replace much of the fossil fuels with nuclear energy and where it's available, because it isn't available everywhere, hydroelectric energy. But they're opposed to both of those, too. So they're not even in favor of the solutions to the problem that they are putting before us.
2: Well, wow, that that's amazing, isn't it? It just, it really is. And then yet, the other day, um, AOC went off after the critics who were mocking her Green New Deal. By the way, you were one of those critics who mocked her Green New Deal. But she was in a House Financial Service Committee meeting and uh, Representative Sean Duffy mocked the effort of the Green New Deal. It's nothing more than elitist fantasy, which I thought was pretty funny. But here's what AOC had to say. Take a listen, Patrick.
3: We talk about uh, the concern of the environment as an elitist concern. One year ago, I was waitressing in a taco shop in downtown Manhattan. So? I just got health insurance for the first time a month ago. This is not an elitist issue. This is a quality of life issue. You want to tell people that their concern and their desire for clean air and clean water is elitist? Tell that to the kids in the South Bronx, which are suffering from the highest rates of childhood asthma in the country. Tell that to the families in Flint, whose kids, have their blood is ascending in in lead levels. Their brains are damaged for the rest of their lives. Call them elitist. You're telling them that those kids are trying to get on a plane to Davos? People are dying. They are dying. And the response across the other side of the aisle is to introduce an amendment five minutes before a hearing and a markup. This is serious. This should not be a partisan issue. This is about our constituents and all of our lives. Iowa, Nebraska, broad swaths swaths of the Midwest are drowning right now underwater. Farms, towns that will never be recovered and never come back. And we're here, and and people are more
2: concerned about... I mean, I don't think any of it well, really made uh, sense. A lot of lies, it, a lot of exaggeration.
0: A lot,
1: it's, it's a lot of word salad, Rose. Uh, it, and for one thing, no one is against clean air and clean water. That's not what the Green New Deal is about. It's about gutting the entire United States economy, especially oh. of its energy yeah. production, which has nothing to do with clean air and water directly. It is true that you can burn coal dirty, but it's also true that you can burn coal clean, and that has become the norm in most of the industrialized countries today. It is possible to put pollution control technology on these plants. The problem is is that AOC and all the others are fooling people by defining carbon dioxide as a pollutant which the Obama administration managed to get into the EPA's regulations. It's called the finding on CO2 as an air pollutant. And this is completely anti-science. CO2 is not a pollutant. It is the main building block of all life. It's where all the carbon in all the carbon-based life, which is all the life, comes from, both from the air and from the water because carbon dioxide dissolves in the oceans, lakes, rivers, and streams, and forms the basis of food for all of the photosynthetic life forms on this planet. And she just obviously doesn't even understand that herself. But to say, for example, that the farms and, and towns of the Midwest in this flooding event will never recover, that those kind of flooding events have been... All through the ages. There's there's newspaper accounts of them in the 30s and 40s when they were just as bad as they are right now. My main point, and I tell everybody this and I want everybody to consider it, nothing that is happening with the Earth's climate today is anywhere near out of line with the last 10,000 years of this interglacial period called the Holocene. Nothing in the weather is out of line with what has been happening through that entire time. And if there was something that was out of line, we might look for what's causing it. But if there's nothing out of line, why would you conclude that it's anything other than the natural cycles of the sun and the earth revolving around in space like they have been doing for billions of years?
0: Mm,
2: That's well said. Yeah. You know, because weather is cyclical. I mean, you, you will see these changes and then it either corrects itself or it goes into a new, a different type of cycle or a new cycle, but that none of those cycles, none of those changes are any different, as you said, than they have been for the last, you said, 10,000 years.
1: So, That's right. But people have like, people have like a 10 year memory approximately. I guess. That's why the doomsayers always say, we only have 10 years left.
2: Oh, Interesting.
1: And and then when 10 years goes by, it hasn't happened, of course. The prediction of doom and gloom has not come true. And then they say, oh, we only have 10 more years. And I'm, like, in my 70s, and I can remember three or four of these 10-year predictions from the same individuals. And so there are actual people who make their living in doomsday predictions. And Paul Ehrlich is one of them. Michael Mann is another Mm -hmm. one. Our our David Suzuki in Canada is another one. I can name names of people who have made a a very good living uh, on predicting apocalypse and doom and gloom. And now the climate change is the words they use to talk about it. But it's been other things in the past. It's just that they latch on to an idea like this, and then they use it to scare people and the politicians love it because they can use it to scare people and, and tell them, oh, don't worry, if you vote for me, I'll save you from this terrible apocalypse, and on and on through our society. So the Green New Deal was meant to feed into that kind of hysteria, but it has backfired and backfired I would say, beautifully.
2: Oh, wow. I'll say so. That's exactly. I have a question for you. We brought, we were talking about gla- glaciers. Um, the There, there's a, there was a, one of the fastest thinning Greenland glaciers even had NASA scratching their heads because it's actually uh, suddenly gaining ice. Um, is that because we're getting colder, not necessarily warmer? I mean, did you you know, and not that I trust any, because a lot of fake data has come out from NASA, from East Anglia University in England. I mean, there's always a fake data that has been coming out um, in the past. Um, some say yeah. it's one of the greatest scams on earth. You know these uh, these uh, cataclysmic uh, climate changers. You know, warriors, and uh, it, it seems to be a scam. But what what are your thoughts on that, particularly the Greenland glaciers?
1: Well, Rose, you get us into the data thicket, as I would call it, (laughs) because there's so much of it. And what we're dealing with is cycles upon cycles upon cycles at one level, some short, some long, and they're not always in conjunction with each other. It's one of the reasons why it's so hard to sort it all out. Uh, The other, Because there's many factors that work, and they go in different cycles. Uh, The other problem is regionalism. So it's possible that this... Greenland Glacier, which is growing, is due to a regional effect, which is part of the cycle of what happens in Greenland, rather than being a global effect. But on the other hand, we are in the modern warm period now. There was the Roman warm period 2,000 years ago. There was the medieval warm period, the time of the Vikings, 1,000 years ago. And today we're in the middle of the modern warm period, which follows after the Little Ice Age, which peaked around 1700. So we could expect, by virtue of the sort of 1,000-year cycles that have been going on for the last three or 4,000 years, we could expect that this warming period we're in now will last maybe another 200 years before we go back into a 500-year cooling period. The warming has been getting less and less over the last 5,000 years. We're actually sliding into a gradually cooler climate than we were, say, five to 10,000 years ago during what was called the Holocene climate optimum when the Sahara Desert was green and there were goat herders living in towns all across it. Wow. And about 5,000 years ago, the climate kind of broke at a global level and started to go downward slightly. But the point is, in the last 150 years, the global average temperature has only increased by 1.1 degree Celsius. Wow! That's verging on 2 degrees Fahrenheit. This is not a cataclysm. As a matter of fact, it's making it easier to grow food, making the frost-free days longer, and making it possible to grow food further north in Canada and Russia, just a little bit, like a few hundred miles but it is an improvement over the cold period we had called the Little Ice Age. And so we should be thankful that the Earth has warmed one degree Celsius in the last while. But again, as I said earlier, this is nothing out of the ordinary. The Earth has been warming and cooling in little spurts like this for the whole 10,000 years of the Holocene period. Now, prior to this 10,000-year Holocene period, we were at the very peak of the last major glaciation 20,000 years ago. It took 10,000 years to come out of that, but that was when the glaciers were all the way down into the northern-tier U.S. states. Chicago had a kilometer or, you know, two-thirds of a mile of ice on it at that time. Our city of Montreal in eastern Canada had three kilometers of ice on it at that time. Mm -hmm. And virtually the whole of Canada and the whole northern United States was covered in a sheet of ice where nothing could grow and no one could live. And that has changed in the 10,000 years up until 10,000 years ago, and we've thankfully been in this warm period called an interglacial period. It's still very cold compared to what the Earth has been through most of its history. Oh, really? But at least it's, at least it's possible. And that's why human civilization began to flourish about 10,000 years ago, because we came out of that major glaciation, of which there have been at least 20 during the last 2 million years in this Pleistocene Ice Age. People need to learn their geological history. It goes back a long ways. And it's very interesting as well. And it will easily put you out of your worry about this being some kind of climate crisis that we are in now. As I said, and was retweeted by the president a week or so ago, this isn't just fake news. It's fake science. There is no climate crisis.
2: Good for you. You know, Patrick, it's so great to have you um, out there telling the truth, speaking the truth, also making all of this so much more interesting than it was for me when I was in school. If, I had, if anyone had presented the information like you did, I think I'd know so much more about the subject. So thank you for educating all of us here on the program. And you're such a doll. We love having you on.
1: Thanks very much, Rose. Anytime.
2: I appreciate that, hon. Thank you. Take care. We'll be back with more right after this.